At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Uh, We are uh, deep in the midst of our series entitled Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished. And we've been walking through the series for a couple weeks now. But you know, Christmas is the season of gifts, right? Christmas is the season where we give gifts and we get gifts and we wrap gifts. And you know, one of the things that I've always been amazed by is there are sometimes you can get a gift and just by the way it's wrapped, you know exactly what it is. Let me give you an example. Now, now this is not heavy, so it's not a bowling ball, right? But if I feel it, it's kind of squishy. And if I run my hands over it, I feel like there are like Pentagon shapes, patterns that keep repeating. Does anyone know what that is? Soccer ball. All right. You know this is a soccer ball just by looking at it. All right. I got another one for you. Does anyone know what this is? Ping pong paddle, right? You can touch it. You can feel it's kind of soft there, squishy. It's got a handle there. This is good for ping pong. So whoever's going to get this is going to be blessed. I got one more for you. You guys know what this is? This is like gold, right? This is, the, this is the gold standard for 2020. And it's beautifully wrapped, but you know exactly what's in here. Toilet paper. All right, now there are also sometimes there's some gifts that we get that we have no idea what's inside of them. We, we may pick it up and, and the gift may have more weight than it should, or we shake it and it's not shaken and it's not squishy and you can't feel it, it's in a box. And sometimes those gifts that are wrapped, we have to wait until Christmas morning to rip off that paper and be able to see the beauty of the gift that's in there. Well, today, as we are continuing our Advent series, as we've been looking at the gifts that God has given humanity, as God over time slowly unfolds his plan of redemption, we see that the gifts that God has given come in the form of covenants. These covenants have been special promises or special vows from God that aren't meant to be broken. And so several weeks ago, we looked at our very first gift that we unwrapped was the covenant that God gave Noah. You remember several weeks ago? As God had judged the world because of their sin and destroyed the world with a flood, God gave Noah this covenant, this promise. And the promise was that God would never destroy the earth through flooding again. What God was saying in that covenant is he was making a promise that he would restrain or withhold his wrath from the world for a season. And by doing that, giving us the opportunity to experience life and giving us the opportunity to seek him while we have life. We also said that gift pointed to a future gift that would come through Jesus. That while Jesus lived the perfect life and when he died on the cross, the Bible tells us that he absorbed the wrath of God. So the promise of God withholding his wrath for a season was being pointed to the fact of Jesus where the wrath would fully come. The wrath that was due you and me was placed on Jesus. Last week, we took a look at the second gift that we unwrapped was the covenant that God made with Abraham. 
Remember that God, just, God is not a God that's a distant God, but we see through the promise with Abraham that God is building a nation. He's calling a people together that will be a special blessing, not only be, have a special blessing, but also be a special blessing. And this covenant was pointing to the kingdom that Jesus himself would establish through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That through the work of, of Jesus, now we have this thing called the family of God. And that the kingdom of God is formed in the hearts of people. This week, we're going to unwrap the covenant with Moses. This is the covenant that we saw last week that was foretold of in the passage that we looked at from Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. And last week, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I want to talk about it today. Maybe you picked up on this last week and you had like a special like light bulb. Like, why is that there? Well, I'm going to explain it to you real quickly. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, when God is making his promise to Abram, he says this, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now imagine this for a moment. God has just promised Abraham that he is gonna be the father of, of many nations. He's gonna have so many descendants that are more descendants than the stars in the sky. And he tells Abraham, he also says, Abraham, you're gonna die and you're not gonna see the promise fulfilled. And then he goes on and continues. But he says, down the road, even further from that, your people, as they continue to grow in number, are gonna go through a season of pain. They're gonna go through a season of suffering. They're going to go through 400 years of being in captivity, but they're going through those difficult times. But I promise that I will redeem them. I will save them. This time of suffering was going to prepare God's people for a time of great blessing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, sometimes we, as we're following God, we, we misplace the message of, of God, right? Sometimes we think that when we come into a relationship with the God of the universe, that everything is going to be smooth sailing. But I want to remind us that's never the case. There's something close to the heart of God when, when we talk about suffering. We see that God doesn't spare his own people, but allowed them for 400 years to be in slavery. Can you imagine generation after generation after generation forgetting the promises of God or not knowing the promises of God or hearing about the promises of God and, and wondering, is this as good as it gets? Maybe that's the question you're asking this season. Like, God, is, is this all there is? Is this life really all there is? And we have to remember that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. So before we dive into this covenant today, I want to get us up to speed. So I've got a quick video that I'd like to share with you uh, that will help you understand the background of what's going on with God and Moses. Stories of the Bible. Moses in the Wilderness. This is Moses, hey. who was an Israelite born in Egypt in a time when Israelite boys were not supposed to live. Wait, huh? Moses, however, grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh, the very man who was enslaving the Israelite people. When Moses grew up, 
he made a big mistake and fled Egypt to live with the Midianites. But God called Moses back to Egypt to deliver his people with the help of his brother Aaron. After God showed his miraculous power in Egypt, he led the Israelites through the Red Sea and towards the Promised Land. They followed God who showed himself as a cloud by day and fire by night. As God led them through the wilderness, the Israelites became thirsty and hungry. They complained to Moses and Aaron and said, if only we had died in Egypt. God said to Moses that he would provide for his people. Each morning they awoke and found manna for the day. What's that? And each night God gave them meat. The people were still thirsty and they were mad at Moses saying, did you bring us out here to die of thirst? So Moses cried out to God and God told Moses to strike a rock and water came flowing out of it for the people to drink. And so the Lord provided for his people's needs. After traveling in the desert for three months, they came to Mount Sinai and God called Moses from the top of the mountain. God spoke to Moses there of the future of his people and reminded him of the miracles of the past. After three days, there was thunder and lightning as a thick cloud covered the mountain. The people heard a loud trumpet blast. And Moses led people to the foot of the mountain to meet with God. God told them how his people were to live and how they were to honor him and respect each other. The Israelites had seen for themselves that God had spoken to Moses from heaven. These rules that God told them are called the Ten Commandments. And the Israelites feared God, for his mighty power had brought them out of slavery and provided for them in the desert. Right. So we see that uh, God has been at work. After 400 years of, of seeming silence, God shows up and he says, I'm going to accomplish your salvation. I'm going to set you free from slavery. And now as we, we come to chapter 19, what we see that the nation of Israel has been in the wilderness for three months. They've found this newfound freedom from slavery. And as they have just walked through this terrifying time, they have the opportunity to look at their hands and see the calluses on their hands as a reminder of, of the way that they lived their lives from generations as slaves. And now they find themselves in this new and unfamiliar place. They're reminded of how they watched God defeat all the gods of Egypt. They even are reminded about how they watched God defeat a Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea and how God parted the water so that they could walk through on dry ground. They've been able to see God step in as this God that they didn't know. 
a God that seemed very, very distant. God is now revealing himself to them. He's revealing his character to them. And so they see God as a God of great power as he overthrows all these other uh, gods. And we see that he's a God of provision as he provides for them manna and quail. We see that he's a God that is, is directing them and leading them as he gives them the, the pillar of smoke and a column of fire. So they're able to see now this, as God is revealing himself that he has great power, that he's a provider, that he is a protector. And now we get to chapter 19 and we see that God has led his people to Mount Sinai. And as they're in the shadow of this huge holy mountain, they've got some big questions. They've got questions that they just need to know, like, God, what are you really up to? God, can we really trust you? Hey, what's the plan moving forward? What does all of this mean? And we see that in chapter 19, that it's at this mountain, that the God answers Israel's questions through the prophet Moses. He tells them why he has saved them and tells them the plans that he has for them. And so today we're going to, to look at that. And the first thing that we're going to see is that God saved his people to treasure them. The whole reason that God is doing all this is because he wants his people to know that they are treasured. Look at me in verse one of chapter 19. This is on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they sent out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions, possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. What a mighty hand of God who is at work to bring his people. He clearly tells them what he's up to. And what we see here is that by bringing them to Mount Sinai is a fulfillment of the promise to Moses. For back when, when Moses was first called, it was on Mount Sinai. When he was given the call to come and be the one that would lead God's people out of this oppression as Moses was called to be the deliverer. Back in chapter 3, God said this, But I will be with you, and this will be a shine to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So it's as though God is fulfilling his promise to Moses. And this is a reminder that God has been at work the whole time as God's people come back. And Moses is like, yes, God has been at work the whole time. And now we see that the role of Moses is changing in the lives of God's people. For first, Moses was called to be the deliverer. He was called to help lead them out of Egypt. And now Moses is being called to be the communicator. He is the one through which God is going to speak to give instructions to his people. And we can see the very first message that he gives them. He says two things to them. First, always remember who God is. Right? Remember that God is mighty to save. Remember that God is the one that bore you up on his wings and brought you out of Egypt. Don't ever forget the fact that God was mighty to save you. Not in an obscure way. But God was mighty to save you in a very visible, very powerful, very mighty way. 
But then he goes on and he says, the second part of the message is to cherish your role as God's treasured possessions. They were the treasured possessions that God, by his power, says, I brought you to myself. This is a a, a mighty sign of God saying, I want you to enter into this great, mighty family relationship. God saved his people to treasure them. And that by being treasured, his people would treasure God. When they think back to how God was mighty to save them and how God stepped in in the moments of their deepest need in the deepest darkness and how God brought them out, that they would see that they have great value and that they would value the one that has saved them. That God is faithful to his promises and that God is faithful in the past and God will be faithful in the future. So we see that God treasures his people. He protects them. He leads them. He provides for them. He defends them. And he wants them to continually be his beautiful treasure. Are there things in your family tradition that you treasure? Are there things that have been handed down from generation to generation that you treasure in your family? Well, for me, I have one. I have this. Does anyone know what this is? It's a Bible. Thank you. This is a Bible, and it's actually a Bible with a cover. And you know what's special about this Bible? To you, this may just be a regular Bible that might sit on someone's shelf. You're like, oh, that's a pretty leather, leather thing. But you know why this is treasured to me? It's because it's my mom's. Every day I look at this or I hold this or I thumb through the pages of this Bible, I imagine my mom in her deep relationship with the Lord trying to draw closer and closer to him, especially as she was walking through sickness at the end of her life. I have to imagine that it's in here he brought her peace. I even had the opportunity as you're flipping through this, there's, there's an old track in here, the, the four spiritual laws that my mom signed and my mom wrote her name on it. And, and I imagine that she was preparing as she was training how to use this track so that she could, she could share Jesus with others. To you, this might not have very much value, but to me, it's priceless. And what makes it so priceless? It's because I have put value on this. I have said this is more valuable than other Bibles, than the Bible that's right there in front of you in the pew. This is more valuable than that to me. And in the same way, this is what God is doing with a special type of people. He's coming to the Israelite nation, the Israelite people, and he's saying, above all the other people in the earth, you are treasured. I'm ascribing special value to you that is above all others, that you are my treasured possession, that you are the one that I long for. But God saves his people to treasure them. He makes an insignificant people and makes them into an eternal treasured possession. This people that were slaves, that were devalued by the Egyptian nation are now most valued by God. God saving and valuing the Israelites was actually pointing to a future promise that would come through Jesus. Remember Jesus who's come to to be be, uh, our Savior, to be our Lord? Remember Jesus came in, in, in a better way than Moses. Right, Because Moses came to be a deliverer, and then he came to be a communicator. Well, we see that when Jesus comes, Jesus himself is the message. 
right? He comes teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, but he himself then becomes the ultimate liberator or deliverer because he himself delivers his people through the sacrifice of his own life. And so what God is doing way back in, in the eternity, or way back in the Old Testament is he's pointing to a future promise that we now get an opportunity to look back and see not only does God treasure his people, he treasures his children that come to him through Jesus. See, the world is gonna tell you all different things about your value and your worth. You know, the world's gonna tell you that you're worthy based on the color of your skin. The world's gonna tell you that you're worthy based on the amount of money that you have. The world's gonna tell you that you're worthy by the things that you own. And what God is going to tell you is none of those things make any value to, of you at all. That our value comes through our identity in Christ. That the God of the universe loves you and cherishes you and cares for you. Second of all, I want us to see that God equips his people to minister. Look with me at the beginning half of verse six. And he says to you, not only am I gonna show you, you're gonna be a treasured possession to me, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. He's laying it out for them. He's saying, this is why I've, I've, I'm going to show you great value. You're going to be a great treasure. But I'm saving you for a purpose. That you are going to be a kingdom of priests. This is what God is saying. This is how I want you to relate to the other nations. So God is saying, I'm, I'm calling you under my, unto myself so that you may be a blessing to the other nations that you may be my representative to them so that they can see that I'm a loving God, they can see that I'm a protecting God, that they can see that I'm a God that is mighty to save. Israel's assignment now from God involved intermediation. That as, they look, as the rest of the world looks at Israel, that they would see this mighty God, and they would desire this mighty God. They were to be his representatives. This freedom that they were given, this freedom from slavery, this freedom to be God's treasured possession, moved them into a place where they had a specific role, that they were to carry these treasures to everyone else, that they were to share this light with the rest of the world. We too are called, as we walked uh, last month through our first Peter series, as we, we looked at that God, even though he was at work making a priestly nation back then, that was more fulfilled in Christ and that through our faith in Christ, we become now a royal priesthood, a holy nation that God calls us to be his representation to the world. You may be like, wow, that's great, but what, is, what does that look like? Well, let me give you a quick example. You know, back when uh, Sarah and I first got married, I was a pizza delivery guy. I love delivering pizzas. How many of you guys love pizza? All right, I love pizza too. Now imagine I'm your pizza guy. You, you order some pizza, you call it up on the phone and I come to your house and I bring your pizza in my hands. Right, just a, just a plain pizza in my hands and I'm getting ready to give it to you and the cheese is like dripping down my arm and pieces are falling apart onto the ground and how many of you would love to receive that pizza? Anybody? Well, if you're really hungry, you're like, just give me the pizza, I don't care. That's the opposite of contactless delivery, right? Like this is, I'm all up in your pizza. 
and I'm giving it to you. And you're like, I don't really want that, right? Well, what's most important about the pizza delivery guy, right? Well, the pizza has to come in a box, right? The, the pizza has to come in a box. When I give you the pizza from inside the box, you're like, yeah, give me that. I want it. I want it because it's covered in a box. The box has no value, right? This is probably an 11 cent box. But this box houses the great treasure, what you really desire. And what I love about the box is not only does the box become the method through which the blessing comes, but the box also highlights and advertises who made the pizza. Are you following me? We're the box. We're the priests. God has called us not to be the gift itself, but to be vessels of the gift so that we give it to other people and that they see, not us, that they don't desire us, but they desire what's inside the box and they see whom and where the gift came from. That's what it means to be a priest. You and I are not called to take this gift that God has given us and hide it away. We're called to display the love of God to the ends of the earth. When you go to your workplace, you are a priest. When you walk into your home, you are a priest. When you're driving down the road, you are a priest. The world needs to look at our lives and see our creator. But the sad thing is many a times what we're presenting to the world is not a life of faith, but a life that looks just like the world. You see, God equips his people with good gifts for his purposes. And as we look back at ancient Israel, God gave them freedom. God led them into a promised land and God equip, equipped them everything that they needed to do good in the world. And he expected them to do that. And what the beautiful thing is, is that God has done the same thing for the church today. That God has called us into a special relationship. He's given us the Holy Spirit to accomplish all the work that he has for us. He's given us the church. He's given us a mission. And he's given us the opportunity God has called us not just to take the gift to ourselves, but to use it in the world around us. Brothers and sisters, let us not hide our lights. Let us not keep it to ourselves, but especially during this time in history, let us talk about the hope that is inside of us. Let us share about the hope, especially when there's so much fear in the world today. There's so much fear out there. And we have the message of Christ that says, place your faith in him and he will take care of you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because God is with you. The third truth that we see from this passage today is that God knits his people into a holy community. God knits his people into a holy community. Let's look at the full verse six. He says, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what God is doing, we see this term here, holy nation. What God is doing is this is a, a key indicator that God is furthering developing his plan for the Israelite story. He's reminding the people or showing the people how he's unfolding their identity and his identity to the people. Because remember, Israel 
was a man, right? Remember, he, he was Jacob, right? There was Abraham, then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. And God gives Jacob a different name. He changes his name to Israel. And then we see as, as God gives him that promise, Israel, um, be, is, Israel or Jacob has 12 sons. And these 12 sons go on to be the tribes of Israel, Remember these, these 12 brothers, the one Joseph that was sold into slavery and he was sent down to Egypt and, and God allowed him to rise in power to become the second most powerful person in all Egypt. And then a famine in the land came and the 11 other brothers came to Egypt because they needed to be saved. They needed food. And Joseph sh shows them a special kind of grace. He welcomes them back in and God's promise to Abraham is further fulfilled through the blessings of Egypt, the same Egypt that generations later would turn on them. But we see what God is doing now is God is fulfilling that plan because now he's saying you will be a holy nation, that you will have an identity to the world. The world will see you as a people, not just as a person, but you will have an identity as a people. You will have a community, you will have people, you will have life, you'll have people that will be able to do life with you and you now are a holy nation. Now this covenant is the first covenant that God gives that is conditional, right? Verse five shows us the conditions of this covenant. The first two were unconditional and the fact that God says, I'm doing this for you. And now God is saying, I'm doing this for you if, and we see the condition in verse five. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth. And as we read on from chapter 19, what we see that Israel continually fails to be faithful to the covenant. Almost every single page of the Old Testament from this point on, we see Israel being unfaithful to their covenant that they aren't taking their, their role as priests to the nations. Instead, they turn inward and they're only concerned about themselves. They want a king, they want a nation, they want it all for themselves. They don't want to be a blessing to the nations. And then as we go through the Old Testament, we see that disobedience causes them to go through a time of exile. And as we read through the exile, we must be asking ourselves the question, how is God's plan of redemption going to come now? How is God's plan going to come now that Israel has failed? And God says, I have a better plan. And it's going to come through the man named Jesus, who is going to come to earth to save the world from their sins, who is going to restore a relationship with God, and then he's going to empower these people to live holy lives. You see, we have everything that we need. We have Jesus who saves us. We have a relationship with the God of the universe and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us that moves us towards obedience. You see, God has saved us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Today, have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Have you come to Jesus and believed in him as your Lord and your Savior? If you haven't done that, then that's your response today. Trust in him in the midst of this dark world to be your light. For those of us that have already experienced the salvation of God, be reminded this morning that you are treasured, that you have great value, that the God of the universe looks down on you and says you are enough. 
because the blood of Jesus covers all our sin. But then also be reminded, not only are we treasured, we have a mission that we are called to share this message of forgiveness and grace with the ends of the earth. But we also are reminded that God calls us not to do this by ourselves, but God has called us to do this inside the context of the family, inside the context of the church, that God has given us one another so we may accomplish his mighty mission. Today, as we have heard the word of the Lord, let us be faithful to what he calls us to do. Let this not be a season where we sit back and we focus in on all of the pressures and all the depressing things of our own life and the challenges of our own life and the difficulties of our own life. Let us not question the goodness of God during this season for he is good. He's good in your life. Whatever's going on in your life right now, it may be painful, it may be hard, God is still good. And the challenges that we have in our life is we don't see from God's view all the time. What we see is is our temptations and our pains and we look at life from this angle. And what we need to do more and more is we need to pull back and see that our small piece and the greater picture of God's plan of redemption is important. But somehow, somehow the pain that we feel and somehow the questions that we have like towards God, like why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen now in my life? And we have to believe that somehow those difficulties that we are walking through fit into God's bigger plan. Just as Moses was a piece in the puzzle of God's plan, just as Jesus was a piece in the puzzle of God's plan, you are a piece in the puzzle of God's plan. Let us be faithful to walk these days with our eyes focused squarely on Jesus and with our eyes, eyes on him and our mouths open to praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message this morning, for this reminder this morning that you have not left us if we walk through difficult seasons. That when difficulties come and trials come and disappointments come and depression comes and death comes in our life, that doesn't mean that you've left us. It just means you're at work. It just means because we are your treasured possessions, it means that you care for us. That you care for us in our pain. And that somehow you've given us a great mission to not be distracted by the pain, but as we walk through the pain, that we have an opportunity to be a light And that, Father, you have not called us to live alone, but you've given us the church. Father, there are so many people that have been hurt by the church in the past because the church hasn't hasn't been gracious, and God, forgive us. But that doesn't mean that we pull ourselves back. It means that we engage in relationships. God, you don't call us to walk alone, but you call us to walk together. So God, if we're hurting, if there are families hurting, individuals hurting, and we don't know about their hurts, Father, help us be aware so that we can come alongside and be the family of God. 
Jesus, we love you. Thank you that this mighty story of redemption has been written down so that we can see it. But thank you that we can also experience in our own lives. Father, now as we sing this song, help us to allow our praise to rise to you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.